cliffcentral.com. All right, it is time for us to get to the burning platform this morning. And um, I did call it the burning Tlemeza earlier, but it sometimes is. It's sometimes a little bit like him. This morning, Pumi Mashiho and Dumo Denga, who's been on with us before on the burning platform. Nando's are the people who make it possible every single week. And thank goodness for them. They're the only people brave enough in South Africa to actually have open, honest discussions about politics, about current affairs, about society, about the economy, all the stuff that matters. So, Dumo, welcome back. It's nice to see you again. How are you? I'm good and you, Gareth. I hope everything is well on your side. And yeah, Yeah, good to be here. That's a very professional setup he's got there. Hey, Pumi, he's got the microphone and the headphones. This guy has learned during lockdown. So many people. I saw the red thing come up and I was like, whoa. Yeah. No, no, (laughs) Dumo. I mean, like, you can't do meetings and things in a professional way in 2021 if you haven't learned something during lockdown about, like, basic, you know equipment like and and this stuff is essential now it's not as if only broadcasters have to have it am i right right yeah. that's true Although, Dubois, mean, is that a racing seat you're in <laughs> yeah yes wow, he's <laughs> even got a racing seat look at that monza yo, 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 yo. all right so let's just um, hold on tight it's gonna be a bumpy ride <laughs> it, it's, it's also because you put my seatbelt it's also because you have your own podcast and it is called the man patriot podcast you are a libertarian. You're a former member of the Capitalist Party, which uh, our friend Canton, by the way, Pumi, we've had so many people requesting Canton's return. And I think you've also been pushing for that for a while. I've got good news on that front. Canton, has, he's now the primary caregiver in his house because his wife is working as hard as he is. But he has to do the school run, and that's why he hasn't been able to join us for a while. But he will be back, and he will rejoin the Burning Platform for an episode very, very soon. Stick around for that. So... Um, just up front, can I start with some feedback? And we, uh, we like to know, um, where we're heading. Yeah. So this is from Jonathan who listens to us. Um, and he's written a very nice email saying, listen, um, I, I listen to less of the burning platform than I used to. And here are the reasons for that. Please invite some of the following people on and take it as constructive feedback. He says, can you get JP Luntman on your show? He spins a very different narrative to what you and Pumi and the other guests do spin. I think he would be a breath of fresh air on your show. So I think that's a great idea. We'll try and get JP Luntman on. Can we be creative and constructive about job creation? A while ago, I read an article that showed that for every one engineer added to the workforce, 15 lower level jobs could be created. That's just one example. Can you get someone who could talk along those lines? Not this waffle crap that you guys come up with about we need to be creative. What the hell does that mean? Let's work it out. Do we need more engineers, more welders, more lawyers? No, not these people. What skills we need and, and how can we attract people? Let's have that conversation. And have you listened to the Realignment podcast? Um, it's a great podcast and you could do worse things than trying to emulate that. All right. He says, despite my tone, I continue to root for you guys and I'm really glad you're achieving the rating success that you have. Well, Jonathan, I promise you every bit of feedback is helpful, especially when it's constructive. And I think that is. So Pumi and I don't uh, get upset when we get these emails. We love it. I love that email. Mm. Love that mm. email. I went to look for JP Lachman and yes. I would. Yeah, I went looking last night. So don't worry. Now, I won't be the only one applying pressure to see her to get him because now Pumi's going to be on the case as well. 
All right, Dumo. Um, first of all, let's just start off with some of the things that you've been doing lately. Uh, you think that at the moment the left is saturated and very well represented in South Africa, adding that a new left party will just split the ANC and EFF vote further. But when leftist mm-hmm. policies are voted on, people will vote in favor of it unanimously. That's interesting. Is that the state of the yep. left? Because Pumi said uh, for a long time now, Pums, I do listen to you intently. Pumi said the problem with the left at the moment is they're out of ideas. It's not so much a question of representation, but there's nothing new. Do you still stand by that, Pums, before we let Dumo answer? I do. Okay. So- I do. So I have a, a one small question before Dumo, you answer that. So are you a right-leaning libertarian or are you a left-leaning? Which one are you, left or right? Um, I would say that I'm, I lean more on the right, um, but that's when it comes to, obviously, economics. When it comes to social issues, I'm more of a centrist type of person. So, for example, if you, if you had to ask me, okay, Duma, what do you think about, let's say, you know, if you say same-sex marriage, for example, I would just say, well, I'll just let them do it. Simple as that. Um, I, won't, I won't stop people from doing that. But when it comes to economics, I'm, I'm more on the right, yeah. Okay. That's what I would say. I think that's an important distinction to make because we we talk a lot on this show about the left and the right, and people don't often know what those distinctions mean. So maybe, Dumo, you can give us your impression of what the left in South Africa actually means, maybe even how it's different in your mind to the left in America or in Europe or anywhere else. Um, and then we'll start with that, and we'll we'll work out whether or not we've been categorizing people properly first of all and then we can talk about the politics and the party politics of that too because i don't think we've even gone into these definitions on the show before so right let's start with that right so i mean if you had to look at me uh, and what i stand for people would say that i'm a classical liberal and i would say that they are correct and now if you look at if you look at the left in the united states they call themselves liberals Hmm. and uh, this is one of the the biggest uh, confusions um, ever, because when I say I'm a liberal, um, a lot of people, even in South Africa, who have been influenced by American politics, think I'm a lefty. And I'm like, no, we have to make that distinction. So classical liberalism, I mean, it's all about freedom and so forth. And obviously the left has kind of owned the word liberal. And then in the United States, that's why they've come up with the word libertarian to try and kind of um, save the liberal uh, term. So, and also when it comes to categorizations, I also think that people, um, I think we tend to be quick to categorize people, you know, because people, th- if you say that I'm a lefty, well, it's convenient. automatically you, people- you, you, you can, mm. you can pile a whole lot of, um, of, of good or bad things onto someone just by putting them in that category. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, one, per- oh, and even the word conservative as well. Mm. I mean, I remember the one time when, when Joe Biden won the election and I said, um, I said earlier that Joe Biden was going to win. Uh, a friend of mine texted me and said, oh, yeah, what do you think about Joe Biden's win? I need to win a you're a conservative. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm a libertarian. Yeah. Yes, I may have liked Trump. Yeah. But the words are also hijacked. I mean, if mm. you think conservatism to today, conservatism mm. today, you you almost think racist. Right. However, however. 
conservatives used to be the Republican Party and the Republican Party freed slaves. Yeah, exactly. You know, so if, if you if you think about if you think about what the word actually means and where it started and what it means today, there's a lot of misinformation. So people, you know, have hijacked well, all these terms. Uh, I want I want to give you the the textbook definition that we learned in political science at, at varsity, and it may have changed dramatically so you must please correct me after i've given you what they taught me so they they used to teach us there was a spectrum and on the left it went from the extreme left was what you call radicals and it would move in from radicals to leftists from leftists into um liberals but in 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 terms of of economic policy and that kind of thing centrists are in the middle then you ended up with conservatives who were opposite to liberals then you ended up with um, reactionaries who were who were people who were extreme right wingers, and then obviously you end up with your with your um, your extreme right wing, which is usually like nationalist movements and right. and you know uh, ethnic movements and those kinds of things. So that's what they taught us, and what they said was that mostly you know your liberals tend to be more open, your conservatives tend to be more strict. Conservatives believe in traditional values. They often tie things in with religion. They often tie things in with um, the letter of the law, um, order, constitutionality, that kind of thing. The, the, the left are more interested in personal freedoms, in the ability to, um, to, to, to create uh, institutions that look after the poor, for example. Um, and those kinds of things have got a bit blurry over the last few years. But do you think largely you can still apply that that definition to those groups? Um, okay, I'll I'm not sure. That. I'm not sure if you can. You know, I think context is everything. Yeah. And, and where we are, you know, our context here in South Africa is so, so wide and so polarized mm. that, it, and, and also, unfortunately, the people who lead these conversations, so our politicians, also revel in the ignorance of people that's they use that to their advantage you know mm. so they spew out these catchphrases and and a lot of people just take it as gospel you know you're lucky gareth that you you had political science mm. as as at university level you know most of most of south africans don't get to have political science at university level it's a not good, even it, in high tr school trust level. me it's a good thing it was a complete waste of time to have studied that nonsense <laughs> I, I don't think so. You know, it gives you a foundation. It it gives you a foundation and and the the right and the good thing about university and unfortunately not everybody can go to university is it gives you an opportunity to well, apply rigor to your reasoning. Well, it applies you know, to apply rigor to your reasoning. So you can fight about it, you can redefine these things, you can you can research, you can read, you can that's and, and that's what we I've we already like got a, I've already got a feeling and Duma I want you to answer as well because I haven't given you a chance yet. Right. But I, if I don't throw this in now I'm gonna forget. I've got a feeling this is gonna be a different kind of burning platform to Today because we are talking a little bit more about the the structure and the actual systems and I think that that's important every now and then uh, why why I bring this up is because maybe part of our education in this country and we were talking in the first hour poems about education and how important it is and how character and personality are probably more important than academics on their own you know subjects but maybe one of the subjects that we should be doing if we would like to engender in people in South Africa a better understanding of politics, is something like civics. Maybe we should have people attend a class in 
public schools, you can't make private schools do this, but you can make public schools do it, and I think it would be valuable, where they learn about not patriotism and nationalism. Those would be very destructive and dangerous things for a state to inculcate into children. In fact, it would be a kind of indoctrination. We don't want that. But what I mean when I say civics is that people should learn what the constitutional court is, how it came about, why it matters, what they do in the constitutional court, how the the legislature operates, how people vote, what voting rights are, are, are people entitled to. How do we vote municipally as opposed to for a president? How do the political parties work? Not necessarily the ideology, because that kind of thing I think they can find by watching the news, but how the system works so that if you have a grievance with your local politician, you know how as an adult to deal with them. How tax works, I think, would be a really useful thing for people to learn at school. And maybe these are the things that are missing that shouldn't be university-level things. These should be taught to kids when they are still young so that they can learn that they're part of a polity and that they have a responsibility as much as they have a right in a society like ours. What do you think? Um, I mean, if you think about the the uh, what is the word? Hullabaloo mm. that is created a, a couple of days ago because yeah. of a short clip. <clears throat> I think it's about a, a 16 seconds of a clip mm-hmm. of a lecture by, by Loazi Lushaba, Dr. Loazi Lushaba mm-hmm. from UCT. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, the, the, and, and when he was put on the spot, I, I listened to an interview that they had with him. Besides the fact that this is 16 seconds of a two hour lecture mm-hmm. that he had with first year political science students, Suddenly, it's in the public domain, and everybody and their aunt's cat have something to say about it mm. with very little foundational information. But that's what happens. You know, our politicians, we're lucky if they've got a, a, a first degree at this so, point. So, Duma, <laughs> Dimo, now on all of that, you have as much time as you want to, <laughs> to touch on everything. Pumi and I have not given you a chance so far to do. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Ah, no, it's all good. It's all good. I, I liked listening to that conversation. Uh, yeah, let's just talk about the civics. Um, civics is a great idea. I think we should, um, have some sort of that education at some, at some point in your, in, in someone's life. However, I do feel that people in society just don't know how to think critically. So it's one, it's one thing to teach people a process, but it's another thing to teach people how to think. So I also think that, in my opinion, that people should actually learn the basics of philosophy, just learn how to think logically. Um, that is very key because in, in, even in my um, development in getting into like political science and libertarianism and stuff like that, the one key thing was philosophy. Mm-hmm. Without philosophy, I don't know where I would be. If I didn't even, and you know, how, and the funny story is that like how I got into it, I, I, I studied a BCom mm-hmm. and I needed an extra credit, a second year credit to actually get into the next year. So I ran to the humanities department because they, they had a bad rap for just saying, ah, man, you can study this, you can study anthropology, this yeah. and that and that, and you'll be fine. So then I'm like, then I saw the philosophy department and I was really impressed by what they had. So I took social and political philosophy and then from there it took off. So, and, and I won't lie from there. I think, um, you know, uh, I learned a lot. I learned how to think everything like that. And my whole world changed. And I, and that's why, that's what I think South Africans need. They just need to learn how to think, how to question things. Yeah. You know? It may be unco- uncomfortable, but let's try question it. Let's have that good discussion. And if we can have that discussion, 
we may not um, at least we may not um, agree on certain points, but at least we'll understand each other's positions. And then it goes back to what Dr. Lwazi Lushaba was saying. So, I mean, I again, I'm one of those who saw the 16 minutes. I mean, 16 second clip. Sorry. <laughs> and obviously, when I looked at that, I was taken aback. But then, what was the first question I asked myself? I said, "Okay, what is he trying to say here? Mm. You know, just based on that, what could he possibly be saying?" And I got certain possibilities, but again, those were possibilities. Now, I haven't listened to the whole clip, but based on that, I thought, okay, maybe let's try and be a bit charitable to his view and see if he is correct. I mean, at best, he could be correct, um, but it just may be controversial, and at worst, it could be factually incorrect. Hmm. And I'm starting to lean on that end that he might be factually incorrect, but I will know when I do the Man Patriot podcast tonight, I'll just read more into what you're saying. But definitely so. I mean, I think that if we know how to think, when people say things that are that are controversial, we may be a bit more charitable to their views, even though we may even though it may cause some shock, you'll still be like, Oh, okay, you know what? Let's just hear him out first and then we'll assess it. So that's what I have to say about it. Yeah, that's I think that's an interesting place for us to start. But I don't want us to stay in the world of political theory and political structures and and, and you know how it all works. I want us to actually get into some of the current affairs situations too. Pums, you want to, you want to say something before we close that off? No. So, no. so guys, I don't know about this. I've only found out this morning because I read an article before we started the show about a possible cabinet reshuffle. Or am I am I out of date? <laughs> Is this happening to, this week? It's, it's speculation. Oh, it's speculation. Okay. Right. There, there is a hang of a lot of speculation going on, and it started last week. I think one of the the daily newspapers floated a story about a, a looming shuffle and who the people that are the weakest link, apparently, in, in Cyril's cabinet and most likely to be shuffled are. But nobody has said anything concrete. It's just a rumor. You know, it's, it's, Have you heard anything it else? It becomes... It becomes so boring because we're constantly talking about personality politics instead of the actual results. If we just analyzed each department based on how, let's say they balance their books is one of the matrices. One of the others might be how much delivery actually happens from that department. The other one might be how well the director general performs as opposed to the minister, you know, and, and, and where everybody can do better. But no, instead, we look at the personalities here because we're obsessed as a country with who rather than with what. And I think that's a problem. Yeah, um, I, I, would, I would say that the cabinet reshuffle is just one of those um, or looming cabinet reshuffle is one of those stories that I think when media houses um, are having a slow week and they're like, hey, guys, <laughs> there's no controversy. So. Let's just bring this up because, hey, yeah. it's possible that there might be a cabinet reshuffle. And people just love, um, they just love personalities. I don't know if it's just a, a human thing, but we love to see personalities clash and we love to see well, um, Ramaphosa, what he's, yeah. Isn't it also true that part of the reason that cabinet reshuffles happen in South Africa is less to do with government and more to do with the ANC than anything else. It's really ANC catered deployment at the highest level. So what we're watching is internal ANC politics play out in the, in the top levels of our government, regardless of service delivery of who the most merit uh, appointments could be. This is, this is actually watching and we've turned it into like a, 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 
one act play almost that when the president reshuffles we always think oh well that'll be a good minister there but we if there's still people who think that they're missing the point the reason the president hands out cabinet appointments is to reward cadres when the ANC is going through a good time or a bad time and to bring in people who he can trust or she can trust and it's just outrageous actually that shouldn't be anything to do with it Pumi you were nodding your head do you agree <laughs> well you know I'm, I'm just thinking about the the politics of personality and how much the ANC's machinations have taken over government, but mm. also a little bit about how mainstream media in South Africa, a lot of our media has has become so partisan. Oh, yeah. And they've fallen into the trap of, of being part of these battles. Um, and I'm very interested to hear what your uh, your take is on this. A couple of days ago, we see IOL, first IOL online, mm. and then they had it on the front page yesterday. Some obscure guy who's opened a case against Cyril Ramaphosa and Chanduka for racketeering. And this hot off the heels of um, within the ANC, Ace Mahashule sending as the Secretary General of the ANC, sending a letter out to all the, the branches and the regions to say, can he please get a list of all the people who have corruption cases pending, who've had convictions, all of that kind of stuff. In preparation, he says, for uh, putting in, you know, putting into action the 2018 Nasrec resolution of step aside. And this is 15 days before he is supposed to uh, step aside. And all of these things, I'm just, I'm looking at all of these things. I'm thinking, this is all just a distraction. There's so many things that our government should be worried about. There's so many things that our government should be taking care of. And we are all so obsessed with step aside this, Zuma this, Cyril this. Now there's a case against Cyril. And I'm asking myself, so there's a case now against Cyril. Is this some kind of check in this chess game that they're playing because is he going to step aside? Is he going to step aside as the president of the ANC (laughs) or is he expected to step aside as the president of the ANC and the president of the country? What the hell, guys? Dumo, you want to try that one? You want to give it a go? Yeah, I personally think it's a a distraction. Um, I think, uh, as as I said earlier, it's, it's more of like slow news week. What can we bring up? Um, you, you know, talking about the problems in the country, I mean, you know, again, we had a lockdown that took millions of people out of work. I yeah. mean, we got like, we got like close to 10 million people unemployed as a result. And, you know, the biggest story is, hey, is Ace going to step aside? And this is the, this is the, the, the problem I have is it's just that. Um, there are more serious issues in the country. I love that contrast. I love on. that contrast you just made. 10 million people lose their jobs and people don't bat an eyelid. And one guy in the ANC might lose his job and everybody's like up in arms. It's unbelievable, right? Our priorities just screwed up. And I do think, Pumi, you're right. You're right. The media plays a part in this because they are allowing themselves to be used as tools by the politicians. The opposite should be happening. The politicians should know that the media houses are going to, or at least good journalists in those media houses, are going to hold them to account for things they say and do. Of course, that's not happening in all of them. There are one or two who are doing better than others. But by and large, I think IOL has been completely discredited. Um, I, I think I think the SABC at this point has more objective truth going on than, than IOL does, right? 
Hey, buffet. Are they still at 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 the media house? Are still paying for good journalists? Are they paying for good journalists? Because I, I, unfortunately, it's and we've had this conversation before. There's a lot of junior people in those newsrooms that that have that lack the depth. And then because of the turnaround times of these stories, mm. the stories themselves lack a little bit of, of rigor, you know, just yeah. in com- terms of back checking, in terms of background to mm. the story. It's hectic out here. Guys. And, and of course, they're, they're actually all, they're not in the business of journalism anymore. They're in the business of clickbait and they're in the business of fishing around Twitter for stories that they know will get them uh, trending rather than stories that the public should know about because it affects our lives. Um, it's all, you know, ask about face, if you ask me. Can I refer to a small story that should be a big story? There was a land invasion on Monday in Robbie Ridge. And the people there are furious because there's a piece of land. Turns out this land, government says it doesn't belong to them. They say that there's a private owner. Um, the private owner says, yes, it is mine, but it belonged for the longest time to government. We can't figure out who's really uh, in charge here, but the community are furious because they have nowhere to live. They're living in an informal settlement on top of each other. Um, these are people who work or are trying to find work in and around that area, and they have lost patience because unless you block roads, and they built walls. They actually took bricks and cement and built walls in the middle of the road. In frustration, the police came in obviously with caspers and all those other rattles or whatever their vehicles are that they use now, and they they chased these people with tear gas. They fired water cannons at them, rubber bullets. It's amazing to me how, despite the fact that we keep claiming we have this incredible constitution and we're a country where the poor have a say and the poor are, are, are heard by the majority party who they claim to represent, that whenever anything like this happens the only people who end up being victimized are the poor the only people who end up at the brunt of police brutality which if this was america would be front page news but ends up a tiny story in the news that maybe you remember on a thursday but happened on a monday these people are desperate the things they have to do to just get government's attention to have basic water and electricity even just space to erect some kind of a shelter for themselves Um, and we're worried about you know, mass expropriation without compensation, but government land can't even be given to people where it's clear that there's a need and that land is not being used for anything else. What do you guys make of this? We should be worried about that expropriation without compensation. Absolutely. Very much no, so. No, we should, yes. Very much so. But this this is like do, the do this is this is like the this Isn't this the sharp edge of the wedge, Pumi? These these small protests like Robbie Ridge. <sighs> So I don't think so. I mean, they, on on the one side, they they show a lot of um, of the discontent that we have in this country. They show that we are ripe for some kind of people. People are angry. People are angry. People are tired. People are poor, mm. and that's a bad place to be in. It's yeah. a bad place in any country, and our government just does not care. Our government doesn't care. But this is different and a separate issue to what that expropriations okay. bill looks like. Fair enough. The expropriations bill is using is using as a mask those disgruntled, 
unemployed, unsheltered masses. It's using them as a mask. And I very recently was just reading some of the history of that bill. So it should concern us because that bill, guys, if you think about it, when it was brought to the table, is at the height of the Gupta heist, mm -hmm. right? And the way that that bill is written is it's basically government kind of going, we we can decide what's important for, for the government agenda. And anyone, anyone from a municipal manager right up to a minister can identify a, a property or piece of land to say this, we need this to advance the agenda of government and therefore it is going to get expropriated. What? But it's also who is behind that bill? It's it's also who is behind that bill. Isn't it also pandering because they don't it's really theft. you know it's theft, but it's also pandering to to poor people because they're saying to them we're going to bring in this legislation. The government has had the ability to to expropriate lawfully property since 1994, and they haven't used that to the degree that they could have. And we know that land reform has been pitiful and slow and has happened only where people are connected to politicians. But that's why I'm saying it's a mask. Yeah. That's why I'm yeah. saying it's a mask. No, it's may, not you, pandering to poor people. You're right. They are masking. You are right. The issue with poor people. Duma, you feel strongly about this. What do you think? Yes. Um, one thing I'll say is that um, when it comes to politicians, they are, uh, some would say race hustlers. I would say poverty hustlers or poverty pimps. Yes. So basically what they do is they have all these poor people. They tell them, listen, if you give us power, we will... Um, you know, we'll make everything great for you. And these guys are desperate. They don't have jobs. They're angry. And you said it's a bad, it's a bad place to be in. Definitely so. So, and they'll usually listen to the first person that makes a promise. So they'll vote for that guy. I remember I saw a video, or, no, a photo of Jeff Khatib and he was wearing really, really, really like nice clothes. And he visited one ANC supporter who was like living in a shack. Mm. And I'm like, you know, that's, 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 the, that's how you sum it up. You got these guys becoming rich by saying that they are standing up for the poor and then after and then once they get the votes they do whatever they want and then they expropriate and and do all this crazy stuff and this is the problem that we have is that you know when people are desperate we are going to see more of this occurring then you got the expropriation bill um which for me is a sign that the government is desperate they don't have mm. any assets they don't have any money and what they want to do is they want to have this um, unbridled power of just taking whatever property they see fit. I mean, this is a recipe for disaster. I mean, what this is what they did in Venezuela. They, they went on expropriation spree. And look where the country is right now. So you definitely, I agree, it's, it's a mask. But also at the same time, it's, it's very, very, very dangerous. And it's going to set um, um, a set of dominoes, and I don't think once the first domino falls, it'll be very difficult to stop the whole flow. But yeah, this is it's 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 terrible. It's terrible in every way whatsoever. And don't get it twisted. It's not it, it's not expropriation to benefit right. anybody but themselves. Mm. We we <laughs> we have thugs in power, guys. We it's, have thugs it's, uh, in power. It's what Zanu it's what Zanu PF <laughs> did in Zimbabwe. It was like farms for our friends. Our, 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 you know, a party uh, loyalist. That's what it was. And, 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 and I, I, so, I'm so pleased you corrected me there because I was, I was conflating two very separate issues, which I now see thanks to your explanation, Pumi. I mean, those poor people in Rabi Ridge, this has got nothing to do with expropriation without compensation for them. In their case, it's like desperation without compensation. And, and actually, the expropriation bill should be resisted at every possible turn if people care about 
honest enterprise and free trade and the ability for ordinary South Africans to do the one thing that will pull you out of poverty, and that is for us all to be more productive as a nation and to create value. Hmm. Right. Fight, 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 fight. All right. Can we talk briefly about the the Judicial Services Commission and the possible appointment of a new constitutional court judge. The appointment of judges is such a messy business, and it seems to me that there is a huge overlap between the executive and the judiciary when it comes to the appointment of judges. Obviously, after that, we have a constitution which makes the judiciary, at least in writing, it seems to be a more independent body. We have people who have fought tirelessly and who've done incredible things during their sometimes illustrious careers on the bench to ensure that the judiciary remains independent. But are we and should we be more concerned about what goes on at the JSC? It's very boring to ordinary people, and most people don't have time to watch these hearings, but we probably should, right? I no. <laughs> Pumi says no. Duma? I, um, I, I would say... I would say yes. Um, I would say yes, because I remember I had a guest on my show, Martin van Staart, and we spoke about this. And it's interesting how politicians are deeply involved in these uh, selection of judges. And I'm thinking mm-hmm. now, imagine you're, a, you're a, a lefty, socialist lefty. You know, the only way you got into parliament was because you destroyed some school property. And now you have to decide if this person if if a certain judge is going to yeah. be fit and i'm thinking that's that's not correct because you're going to be selecting judges based on an ideology not based on whether if this person can interpret the constitution correctly yeah. or, or or at worst you might select them based on how you think they should interpret the constitution because now there's this view of expanded constitutionalism which mm. is more of like this social justice and again i could be I stand to be corrected, yeah, but it, it seems to have the social justice narrative that's attached to um, interpreting the Constitution as opposed to looking at it for what it is. And that seems to be um, one battle that's going on. And now you've got politicians on the other end trying to um, influence it. I don't think it's a good thing. But again, people will say, well, if politicians are not involved, then people don't have a say and elected individuals need to have a say in this process. So therefore, um, it needs to happen. But again, there are pitfalls to it as well. So I think people should be concerned because if a judge, if a controversial judge is put in just because of what, how they view the constitution and it's not consistent with how it's supposed to be interpreted, that is an issue. That is a massive issue. Awesome. I think that's a good answer. Um, I'm just worried that maybe with a little bit of experience, 25, 26 years of experience in how government should operate, maybe there were things that we didn't foresee in terms of the the, the relationship between the three branches of government, the executive, the judiciary, and the legislature, and that maybe we need – I mean, you know, Americans, for example, they vote for judges when they go to the – the polls. Now, that would be even more dangerous in this country. Can you imagine the kinds of people who the politicians would recruit onto party lists and, and, and we could vote for as judges? At least at this point, the judiciary is still by qualification. You have to have been a judge. You have to have been a, a, an advocate or, a, or an attorney. You, you know, there are certain things that are basic bare minimums, which I think are a good thing. But maybe we should look at, at, at other ways to to structure the, the judiciary or maybe even 
find other people. Maybe there should be a, a commission similar to the JSC of old judges who, who, who appoint the new judges. Because at the moment, it's the president right. who appoints them on advice from the JSC. And the JSC is just mm -hmm. another elected body because it's a committee, effectively, drawn from the political parties represented in parliament. It's a flawed system, mm. but it, you know, at at the moment, it's the best of of the flawed systems that we do have. What what you hope for, and, and unfortunately, this is the thing, Gareth. You studied Roman Dutch law, is you you hope that the people who are the the ones who are supposed to uphold the law for us or review the law have got the wisdom of Solomon, and that their belief system no, <laughs> is. That their belief system is not only based on the law of the of the country, which is our constitution, but also of the you know the the consensus of the of the population. You know, we kind of as South Africans, our constitution is our base belief system, and from there we. But you know, yeah. unfortunately, this is it's a, it's a flawed system, but it's the best of the systems that we do have. You hope that they will follow the letter of the law or apply their 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 rigorous minds to how that law gets applied to the general public. You know, the law is supposed to protect the best and the worst of us, the weakest mm -hmm. and the worst. Yeah. And so, we and we should still always have some space for people to know that no matter how awful the things are they might have done, that you are still innocent until proven guilty. And that at very least and it's not just criminal stuff. At very least that the judiciary, no matter who appoints them and where they come from, that they will uphold your individual rights to property, to free speech, to live as happily and as, as, as freely as you possibly can. That is the whole point of a government, is really to create the structures that will arbitrate between us as people, not just between us and government, but also between me and Pumi if we have a dispute, that there are ways for us to settle between that dispute. Gareth and Damon. Yeah, Gareth exactly, and Damon. when we're arguing like we were yesterday. Okay, um, let's just turn our thoughts further afield because I know a lot of people want to talk about this, and it's something I'm, I'm a little bit obsessed with, I'll admit, and maybe I'm boring people with it, but I can't get enough of this ridiculous cancel culture movement. I see that Hank Azaria, this is ridiculous, but just bear with me. Hank Azaria is the guy who voiced a number of characters in The Simpsons. One of those characters was Apu Nahasapima Petalon, who is a, an Indian shopkeeper in The Simpsons, right? And Apu is one of my favorite characters uh, in The Simpsons. And he's got a very stereotypical kind of Indian accent, which is amazing. I've got to give Indian people credit because no matter where they are in the world, first generation Indian immigrants all do have the same sound to them you know you if you're polish you have a different kind of sound if you're in america to if you're in south africa to anywhere else but the the indians have such a strong uh cultural background and and as a nation obviously there are different dialects and there are different languages and there are different backgrounds and, and different ethnicities in india it's a huge country but it seems to me like you can do an indian accent and people know what you what you know you're talking about an indian person or at least a first generation indian immigrant so hank azaria is not an indian and the cancel mob has decided it's unacceptable for me to pretend now he's an actor all right and acting means that you have to pretend you're someone you're not that's the whole point of being an actor he has to now apologize and he has for voicing apu on the simpsons he says the problem is that he's white and therefore he cannot ever voice an Indian person. 
what is the purpose of an actor if they can only play people with their lived experiences? Then you shouldn't go into acting. Acting is a stupid thing that we should shut down the whole of Hollywood, Bollywood, Nollywood. We should stop thinking about making movies. We should stop writing plays. We should stop putting ourselves in the position that so many writers, the greatest writers in history, have put themselves in of trying to imagine what it's like in someone else's shoes. In fact, that is also the definition of respect, is it not? Is to look twice, is to look at it from your point of view and to look at it from someone else's point of view. These people are so literal in the cancel mob. They're so absolutely literal that they cannot picture a scenario where it might be possible for me to imagine Pumi's life or Dumo's life. That is how unimaginative these people are. This is how indoctrinated and ideologized they are. Do you think that this is as big a problem as I am, I'm, I'm, as I'm saying it is, or do you, do you disagree with me? Do you think it'll pass and this is just something stupid? Dumo, you um, go first. Okay, I'll go first. Okay, I I think for me, um, it it could escalate. Um, I, I'm just wondering. I mean, now this guy who apologized. Um, what about the guys who wrote the whole Simpsons um series, the scriptwriters? Yeah. I mean, well, what's their race right. and ethnicity and yeah. so forth? So the thing is that these guys, they only are these cancel culture people are only going off the individuals who seem to not fit the narrative or fit the script or how you want to put it and now what happens now is that they go after that guy but then now what about everyone else i'm not saying that they should but it's very the problem is that they don't they don't understand the industry they don't understand that there are people who actually go out there and create series based on you know typical stereotypes and again you don't have to watch it that's the thing i don't understand why for them, it, it, it's it's such a big issue that they have to go out and make sure that there has to be some sort of consistency with um, the actors and their race and who they're representing and so forth. I mean, what makes them think that they should even decide such a thing? You know, never mind that it has to be um, a, a person of a particular skin color that um, has to represent a certain person in a movie or a film. What makes them think that they should be the gatekeepers of such? It's ridiculous. And I think, mm -hmm. in my opinion, if they actually applied that logic to their own position, then they would actually realize that, oh, no, we're actually in the wrong here and we shouldn't yeah. be trying to be the judge. But, yeah, it, it's really sad and it could escalate. It could become worse. I mean, Godsad spoke about this many times and, yeah. you know, he's he's been prophetic. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> you know, but every time we talk about cancel culture, I, I always think that we're looking at it at a very narrow lens. Mm -hmm. what, it, what it is at the, the base of it is a group of people who are unhappy about a particular way another group of people either portrays them or a thing or whatever, yeah. right? But mm -hmm. if, you, if you were to, to, to end, unfortunately, because of the way that media is so disintermediated now, each and every single one person has an amplified voice, right? But actually, if you think about the abolition of slavery, that's a formal of cancel culture. A group of people decided that this particular action is no longer compatible or agreeable for, for the bigger majority. And a group of people stood up against that and systematically ended that way of being. Similarly with world wars, you know, a group of people decided that this particular way of being and this particular culture does not 
does not gel with what the rest of us believe, and they cancelled it. So when you when so, you think about the fact that you look at it at a very narrow lens, yeah. where each and every single individual now has a, a megaphone where they can voice their disgruntlement and and basically go to war against something that they mm. believe is 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 not a way but, but of life for me, the rest of us. I, I hear you, but does that mean that there are good and bad forms of cancel culture? And is all of it progressive? Is all of it useful to us, or is some of it retrogressive? I mean, if, if, you know, I can't play, if I can't put on an accent anymore, uh, you know, which is something I used to do on radio all the time. And now I have to think very carefully if I use an accent, because some people are going to interpret that in some way as, as me stereotyping and judging and being negative about someone when actually I'm just trying to mimic them. And I think this is something humans have done for thousands of years. If that becomes unacceptable in society, are we not losing more than we gain? Um, and, and certainly your, your, your example of the abolition of slavery may be a good one. I don't know that that's cancelled culture. I think that's progress. Slavery is cancelled. Yes, no, no, but I, I, think yeah. that's, I think that's progress. I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't define that as an, you know, an un, unhealthy, unruly so, uh, mob demanding that everyone conform to their idea. I think what it was was it was like a negotiated settlement, and and the people who were on the wrong side of history, they didn't have an argument anymore. It was well reasoned. It wasn't just pressure to conform. Gareth, if you think about, and, and this is where, for me, the, the, the advancement of quite a lot of things that cancel culture has brought to the fore is it makes you think about it. It makes you think mm. about what it is that you're wanting to achieve from stereotyping a particular individual or a, t a particular group of individuals. And more importantly, not only is, is it about your intention, but it is about how it is received on the other side. We know this, that, that these stereotypes have a negative impact on a whole lot of people. People people are less likely to get a particular job if they look like a particular person, if they speak like a particular way, if they you know, all of those, what, what stereotypes tend to but, do but can I, is they group a bunch of people into one thing I, and and that's the psyche of humanity. And no, now we are in a place I, I, where individual, the individual has become so elevated in our society. And what cancel culture is doing is it's saying, actually, you are no longer allowed to group people. Each individual that you come into contact with, you must engage them as an individual. And each and every single one of those people, you don't come at me thinking, all oh, black women are loud and angry. Mm. Don't come at mm. me like that. Because if those are the stereotypes that are put out in media and, you know, Shucks, uh, Schuster or Medea yeah. or you, you know what I'm saying? Those things have a very real psychological impact on the way that the rest of society deals with people. Perhaps, There's a place for it. Perhaps it's right. it's it boils down. You agree, uh, Duma? Because I I, I think no, no. largely you I don't, don't agree. agree. Okay, well go ahead. No, I don't you you come in next. I'll um, I'll, I'll wait. I don't agree because the, the the reality is that the people that are pushing the cancel culture are in fact stereotyping. You know, these are the individuals who are saying that you can't um, put on an accent because when you do it, you're mocking. But then when someone from that particular group or as identified from that particular group starts to stereotype, let's say his grandfather who has that particular accent, oh, then it's fine. It, it, it's okay because he's part of it. But then when someone of a different race does the same thing, oh, it's wrong because he has the wrong skin color. I, I so think, these guys are... 
I think yeah. my problem with this is also that cancel culture is not, it is not targeting a policy like slavery. You know, the abolition of slavery was, we've got it, this is something that's got to change for all of us. Cancel culture goes after individuals. Like here it's going after one actor, but it doesn't go after another actor, for example. You know, it's fine for, for a black actress, for example, to play Anne Boleyn. But in, that in actor a, is a proxy. Uh, that actor is a proxy. But then people must, That actor is a proxy. But then you can't get someone fired because from their job for, for so that. So you see, Gareth, like you say, like you say today, that when you, when you think about mimicking or making fun of mm -hmm. in a particular accent or stereotype, yeah. you think hard about it. It's the proxy. What the proxy does is it sets an example. We were talking earlier about the law and the constitution. That's yeah. why there are precedents. That's why the law has precedents. It's a single case that changes mm. the environment. That's what that's about. You need a proxy. And I mean, if, even if you think about the abolition of slavery, and, and what it was for is it, it sounds today when you look back like it was their better nature, the angels of their better nature that wanted to abolish slavery. But actually it is not. It's simply because with industrialism, people who did not have slaves could not compete because the cost of labor was making it hard for them to compete. So now you go, actually, those guys with the slaves, hell no. They're competing at an unequal. We should all not have slaves so that we all can compete. But what, what about when they come for you? Because, you know, if, if you voice an opinion here on the burning platform this morning that someone powerful in government doesn't like and you lose out on a massive business deal and you and, and Ganejo don't have, have food on the, on the table next week. I mean, that to me doesn't seem like it's any more a fair proxy battle. That's them leveraging their power against you because they don't agree with you. And I see a lot more of that happening than I do righteous um, indignation about proper things that threaten humanity. I mean, you, you, Garrett, could, you that, see it over, that, that over the most the... incredibly stupid things. And it's, it's really got to do with people who are slacktivists sitting there. Unfortunately, claiming... that's the price of principle. That's the price of principle. Okay. Robert Subukwe was in prison with his yeah. own clause in yes. the law statutes, with his own clause because of his principles. Mm. That's the price of principle. I, I, I don't know, guys. Um, the, the way you don't I know see if that's it, the price of principle? No, it's just that I, I think there's some sort of equivocation error, you know, because like if slavery got cancelled, then... Fine, but it's not the same as an actor getting cancelled. Yeah, you know, I and think I, I don't think it has the, the same result. Yeah, it it doesn't. It's 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 more like it's more fallacious. I think it's an equivocation fallacy, because what what you're doing is you're taking the word cancel in one context and and making it equal to cancel in another context. Yes, slavery got cancelled. Yeah, but it's not based off a an ideology where it states that um, you can't portray a certain person in a particular way because you have the wrong skin color you don't have the shared experience hmm. it's it's it's, yeah, it's totally based on different. an ideology that says mm -hmm. i cannot compete with you because you have free labor no no, no I'm, talk I'm, I'm talking about um uh the, the the actors right so if you if you look at the slavery one you're right when you mentioned that yes they are in the people couldn't compete because of the price of labor fine and that's a that's one debate and slavery ended maybe as a result of that but now we're talking about now when you're that talking maybe about as a result of that they went to yes. war because they couldn't compete yes but and it's this, not you come from the capitalist party but brother, it's not and this but it's is, not but it's not the same is, as um 
as canceling someone because he has the wrong skin color and he's portraying someone that's not in his in his supposed um cultural background that's a totally different thing yes the word cancel is used in, in both contexts, but it doesn't I, mean the I'm same just, thing. I'm just sad because you know what's going to happen? Like Apu as a character in The Simpsons, someone who I loved, mm. is now going to go away. Or they're going to change him and I'm no longer going to want to watch that Apu anymore. I, he had a character. He had a voice. He had a, a personality, which uh, even though he was made up, was real to me growing up through season yeah. after season of The Simpsons. The only person who loses is the viewer. The only person who loses is the, is the person who actually loves that. documentary? Have you watched a documentary called Disclosure? No. It, it's actually, it, it's, it's on Netflix right now. It, it's an award-winning documentary from a couple of years ago. Right. And, and it's, it's about transgender individuals mm-hmm. and the portrayal of, of transgender individuals within the media context. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very fascinating because they, they talk to people who played transgender individuals who were not transgender. They mm-hmm. talked to famous actors and writers and producers who are transgender and how that, that has changed, but also how it has made a difference to their safety because of the portrayals, because of the stereotypes and the portrayals, the, the level of safety and transgender individuals are still, still live a very difficult and very precarious life. They still get killed and attacked. We have here in South Africa, you don't even have to be transgender. You just have to be gay and you can still get killed. We have almost daily, we have um, stories about that. You should see it. You should see this documentary, which for me is, is a, 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 one facet of telling the story of why Mm. individuals should own their stories. Individuals should own their stories in not just in the way that they are portrayed or who portrays them, but also in the way that they are written, in the way that it is produced, all of those things, the entire... But then then that's that's a documentary, that's not acting. That's not a story anymore, it's it's acting. But it is about acting. The documentary is about acting. But... Here's the, and, and you know that that's the beauty of it. That's the thing. Make the documentary that educates people on that, and then people will make their own decisions on that. It's better to do that than to go and cancel someone because he decided to play a yeah. certain role in a particular movie. Guys, I'm afraid, and, and people should decide. I'm afraid yeah. we're, we're not going to solve this problem today. Um, in fact, <laughs> we may not solve it even if we did the burning platform for three months solid. I wanted to get to, <laughs> to the Derek Chauvin trial, which is obviously hugely contentious as well, because no matter what the, the jury do in that mm-hmm. case, there's going to be an issue. And I think that uh, the people in Minnesota are, are probably more nervous, the people in Minneapolis anyway, are more nervous about the riots that will ensue no matter what happens um, if he's found guilty um, then it is proof that america is systemically racist uh, sorry then it's it's proof that america is that he is that he's a racist if if not it's proof that america is systemically racist so you know the audience here are going to get whatever the audience decide they want and in the meantime no real progress is made this is only entrenching ugliness and i wanted to to get into more of this and maybe we'll save it for next time pums i know you've got things to say about it but Duma, we'll have you uh, back again soon, all right? All right. Thanks for having me. I Thank much you. appreciate it. That's Duma Denga. Thank you so much for joining us today. And Pumi Mashiho, always good to have you, Pums. Thank you very much. Have an excellent Thursday, and we will see you tomorrow at 6 a.m. bright and early, cliffcentral.com. This has been The Burning Platform, brought to you by Nando's. Cliffcentral.com.